Greetings, I am Jim. And I am Sean, and we welcome you to our podcast. Our goal is to entertain you with our discussions about RPG, fantasy, and everything in between. Come sit by the fire. You're safe here. We'll keep watch. We hope you enjoy 13-Sided Die. Level 1, Episode 6, are detailed discussions on the world of homebrew. Come learn how to homebrew in your own D&D sessions, and see how Jim and I are very similar, but completely different. Does an argument break out? You can also hear us pretend to be southern gentlemen from Louisiana. Suge. And we also build a random encounter that you can use in your own game. Alright, let's get started. Hey everybody, we are back. Uh, today's episode is all about the world of homebrew, which is really exciting. Uh, before we kind of get into that, I did want to have a little chat here. Uh, and, oh, you're, you're here with me, right, Jim? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay, good. Just checking to make sure Jim was, 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 was with us. Uh, the brief discussion I want to talk about is really about stories in Dungeons and & Dragons. And if you're a player or a DM, you kind of get an understanding of it. And if you don't, I always like to try and include people who maybe don't know much about D&D. So a D&D game is a connection of games in a long campaign, usually. And from that, and you guys might have heard us talk about this in other episodes, but there's usually a kind of a story, an overarching story. And to me, a good DM puts together what I call the framework. So these kind of plot hooks in places that the players kind of gather around and get involved in. And the players then flesh out by their actions that kind of story, what's going on. And then the DM just kind of throws out different little major plot hooks. And also what happens too is players make their own plot hooks sometimes by the choices they make. And it's just a collaborative building session together. So that, do you have anything to add to that, Jim? Like kind of how stories work in D&D, how it kind of comes together? Uh, I was just going to say story hooks. Make sure you put treasure in on it <laughs> to make sure that your players actually follow the story hook that you want them to. There you go. <laughs> kind of like that, like a carrot in front of a donkey. Yeah, yeah 100%. Perfect. perfect. Uh, golden carrots. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the idea of, of a, what, you know, a, a, a game or a campaign comes together from these kind of like the story. And it's not usually something you've written out verbatim because you can't, players aren't going to follow it that way, but you just got general ideas and a direction you might be, you know, kind of going in. Uh, and we talked about that before in regards to railroading and sandbox DMing and that kind of stuff. We, we've already discussed those things, but I did just want to have that little blur before we got into what the main topic is. And uh, that's about what the, the world, the D&D world calls homebrew. Uh, and a homebrew campaign would be something that myself or Jim as a DM has kind of created in our own minds. And we've got this uh, idea of what that world is. And, and, it, and it can be so much. And, and we're going to talk about all these different facets of it from, uh, you know, from a world to people to the main story, like whatever. Or it can be um, only a couple of those, too. It depends how you want to play it. Um, so to me, homebrew means uh, kind of that creation of it, thinking about it, making it up, coming up with what exists in that kind of that world, what's going on there. And it's kind of cool because it gets to come from you. Um Maybe controversial. I'm not sure. And I, I want to hear your opinion, Jim. But I tend to think that a DM shouldn't do homebrew out the gate. Uh, I, I really feel that a, a DM should play around a little bit with some modules, get a feeling for how they work before they start getting carried away and doing their own stuff. Um, you, I think you, it's, you need to know the rules before you can break them kind of feeling. And I don't know. What do you think, Jim? Is, am I totally off base here? Or what's your thoughts? Oh, well, I actually did homebrew first time I ever DM'd. Of course you did. I, so I also DM'd before I ever was a player, though, too. Yes. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think 
it can be easier for a DM if you've been a player before you become a DM um, because you kind of get the feel of things. I think it's a harder path if you haven't played to be a DM before. It's not wrong. I think it just might be a little harder because you're you're learning everything. Yeah, I'd say it's it's more important to even just watch a game of D&D, like online or whatever, watch a one shot just to see how it flows. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and as we always said too, Jim, and we need our shirts that every table is different. Um, it just depends where you go. People have very different playing and DMing styles, uh, which is totally cool. And nobody should be bound by anything. That This game and, you know, even the forefathers of the game said that the rules are really just guidelines, you know. Uh, and some people get really, really torqued out. Like, no way, it says right here on page 37 that blah, blah, blah. And they get all excited. And it's like, yeah, I'm not hung up on that. For me, the, kind of the two most important things to me in D&D a first is that everyone's having fun. That's the players, the DM, uh, your partners, that they're not frustrated that you're playing all the time. Like everyone's having fun. Two is that there's a cool story. And for me as a DM, I'll do anything to make the story cool because I want my players to walk away and at work the next day or if they're out with some friends, they're telling their friends about the story because it's so cool. Like I want them to see it like a movie, you know? And so for me, that's why I love homebrew because not putting anything down, modules are amazing. And some of the writing in modules is fantastic, better than I can do. But I want to do my own. I, I want to create my own world. Um, the interesting thing about modules, if you have a bunch of players, sometimes they play that module for somebody else already. So in a homebrew world, it's just yours. No one's ever played it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, another great thing about homebrew too, uh, for the story hooks, you don't even, if like, if your imagination isn't that good, you it doesn't have to come from your imagination. You can steal it from your favorite books and steal story hooks from your favorite movies, poems, songs, art, literally anything. Yeah, you're right. And you can blend it all together, right? You can have the the story from X-Men over here blended with Hercules that meets a, you know, a Pollock painting and you've got this crazy mishmash. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 just totally wide open and and for me, you know, and, and we're kind of talking a little bit about advantages and disadvantages. That to me is kind of a big advantage of homebrew that it's just wide open. You can go anywhere, you can do anything. And uh, and I think if we we're to be honest, there's only so many real baseline stories out there. And uh, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, girl gets eaten by dragon, boy has to slay dragon, like whatever. There's only so many stories. And, you know, you're just doing different variations on it. And that's really what most movies are, are the, an existing archetypical story that has been altered into a different setting for a movie. Right. So, um, it's cool. Take those, take a really cool setting and run with it and have fun with it. Um, that's to me, some of the huge advantages of it. And the idea as well, like that no one's played it is exciting to me. So it's all fresh and new. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love just cherry picking from all my favorite fancy stuff, right? Like all my movies, I love high, high fancy. So I want the most outrageous stuff in my games. Completely. I mean, Nobody wants to, you know, I, I, there's a really fun little um, comic in one of the old AD&D books and it, you see like a wizard and a fighter and a cleric and they're all sitting around a table and they're playing, um, shoot, I can't remember the name. It's like, it's, um, oh, it's businessmen and something or whatever. <laughs> like, it's like D&D people playing a game of like boring work and it's very <laughs> funny. Um, I think it's hilarious. You don't want your game to be, we have enough boring stuff in our lives as it is playing D&D is that escape from that and where you get to go be that high adventurer and hero and save the world. So put them in a situation where they got to save the world. Yeah. 
what about a, do you think about Jimbo disadvantages? What kind of disadvantages are there to homebrew? Um, well, I had one DM who he had a homebrew. He made a magic system homebrew rule himself. Uh, he didn't want to keep track of spell slots and levels and whatnot. So he made it that anyone could cast any spell and they were just essentially marbles that you got at the start of every day instead of spell slots. So our party wizard could hand our fighter like a shield and a cast spell every day and that sort of thing. And it just made the game really broken. Yeah, I, I, you're right on there. And I, I think magic is an area that people like to try and fix. Although I don't think it's broken, but um, I'm not a huge magic person personally. I think we talked about that before. Um, I rarely play uh, characters that have magic. It just doesn't do much for me for whatever reason. Um, I'm more on the the sneaky or the heavy fighting type of character uh, that's thoughtful and does things that way, not so much through magic. But that being said, uh, you know, we, we played a campaign probably about four or five years ago uh, with my good friend. And he, he's an, he's an amazing DM, like one of the best DMs I've ever played with, but uh, he's, he's extremely smart. He's, I always call him the, the human uh, encyclopedia or the human calculator. You just throw numbers at him and he can tell you what it is. Um, but he did his own version of magic. And it turned out that everybody could have magic. And I built a character that was a barbarian. And so it was very bizarre for a barbarian to have magic by just nature. Barbarians don't like magic. In the early days of D&D, you couldn't even have a barbarian and a magic user in a party together because barbarians hated magic so much. And I did, like I said, I don't really like magic. So it was, it, the game became very magic focused. And we, I don't think we ever had that conversation at the beginning of it. So it just kind of evolved. And I found that a little bit more difficult because that certainly wasn't a direction I wanted to play in. Um, it was a fun campaign, but it was just a little bit, you know, magic became a big, big focus in it. Um, so I think there can be a disadvantage with homebrew if people kind of play with things a little too much. You can sometimes inadvertently break something that might not even be broken or need to be yeah. fixed. And I played with a lot of min-max players too. Yeah. So they're we're already pretty strong. And then just to give us basically anyone can cast magic it just all the encounters were really one-sided in our favor so it didn't really make it hard that's right yeah that's right i think the other thing too is um and i think some people have this as a kind of get a little confused they'll be like um homebrew is a lot easier because it's it's your own world and there is some element to that i i like people also will say well, like a module is super simple because it's all written down it's like yeah but if you haven't read through that whole module in advance it's going to be a sketchy game because it's going to you're going to have to jump all over and you don't know where where you're going or what's going on. So you really need to be a, really aware. I feel of a module, so you have to read the whole thing through and understand all the plot hooks and where it's going, or else you can't deliver it well. So there's a lot of work to doing, you know, a a uh, a module based game. And in a homebrew game, people say it's easier because it's just all inside your mind. That's true, but if it's just a homebrew game, maybe, but if you're doing a whole, and we're going to talk more about that, a homebrew world, you need to know everything. You need to make up and come up with all the cities, the territories, like everything. Like there's so much to it. So I think there can be a, there's a lot more background legwork you have to do to create a homebrew world. Um, so both of them have, you know, a lot, uh, potentially a lot of work. Uh, I tend to feel that a homebrew world actually has a l more work than just playing modules, even if you're having to read all the module and know it. There's so much in a homebrew campaign, which is my preference. We're um, six years in with uh, my current group of uh, friends that I'm DM DMing for, and it's been predominantly all homebrew. First campaign, we played uh, almost 60 games in that campaign, and 
there was probably like maybe 15% of that. I threw a couple of short modules into it just to kind of span some things out in a few directions. Uh, but the rest of it was all homebrew and it was certainly in my homebrew world. And the campaign that we're in right now, the gym is uh, playing in, uh, is about, I think we just had a 33rd game and that's all completely homebrew. Everything in that is completely made up and uh, figured out. And I love it. I, I absolutely love it. But uh, it is a lot of work. Yeah, you definitely, and you take, for, like you are saying, like even when you homebrew, there is a little bit of our like written stuff in there that you've taken from someone else or yeah. something you've seen online. And then anyone that's uh, ran a written adventure knows that you have to homebrew stuff because your players are going to go off the rails anyways. Yeah. They're going to go check out that building that there's nothing about that in the book and you just have to make that up. Yeah, that's a great point, Jim. You're so true because people will do that. They'll, uh, and they're allowed to. That's the whole thing. It's like a freedom yeah. of movement. Do what you want to do. Um, and if somebody says, I want to go over here on the other side of the wall of the, you know, of the, uh, the city and there's nothing in the module about being on the other side of the wall, well, you're homebrewing, man. You're just making <laughs> stuff up. And, uh, but that's where it's fun because, you, you know, if you're freewheeling in the game and you're having to make it up on the spot, you're as a DM now, you're really playing as a character because you're actually ad libbing on the spot. And that's what's really cool. So, um, Jim and I have some notes we wrote down here about uh, topics about this topic and things we want to talk about. So <clears throat> one of them on here is a talking about, and I think we're leading into that about a homebrew world and how that, uh, how you kind of go about that. Um, for me, it starts with a map. When, I, when I'm working and coming up with a whole new world I want to do, it starts with a, a map. I start drawing out. It can be a rough sketch. And I start defining regions first. And then from the regions, I start looking at it. And for me, uh, in our silly – and I should mention this. It's uh, the, My world's called Ardnor. And uh, a lot of you know that's Ardnor Minis is what I go by on Instagram. And that comes from my, my world, um, from the uh, – the world that my players play in and it just extended off into a lot of the other things that I do, uh, Instagram and whatnot. But I started thinking about Ardnor as, okay, if it's a whole big kind of world, what are the, you know, environmental regions of it? So I started working down from the top being very cold and Northern exposure area, then kind of, you know, a t temperate to like a snowy temperate down into moderate. And I've got desert areas and all. And so you, which is really fun because in my head, I'm looking at the world thinking, yeah, I want them to go here. So they're going to be like in a desert setting or here it's like swamp and here it's like snow-capped mountains. And it was really fun to come up with different climate zones and then more granular, start thinking about, you know, roadways, uh, sailing passageways, lakes, rivers, uh, then of course into cities, towns, hamlets, and just start filling in some of those details. And what's the capital city of each region? What's the capital city of the world? And just start building on from there. Um, which is a lot of fun. Something I did that a lot of people don't know in who play my game is that all of the city names are taken from other languages and they mean things. So if uh, you have a word in there, um, uh, like uh, Foveros is one of our cities. I don't actually remember what it stands for now, but all of the things I went through and I found words in other languages that fit things that I thought were really fun for that area. Um, and so that's something you can do. You can name things using other languages, and that's a great way to come up with names of stuff. Um, I'm blathering on here, Jim. What do you got to talk about as well for the idea of starting to build a homebrew world? I'm actually the complete opposite as you. I start very small and then go big. That's cool. Because I'll, you know, put my players in a town, and then I kind of see where they want to go, and then, okay, maybe I'll build a little bit more. Oh, there's this on the outskirts, and there's mountains over here, the river down here. 
which way do you guys want to go? And then I'll start building out the world that way. That's really cool. And yeah, both and work very well. They do. <laughs> and the greatest thing is, again, there's no right or wrong to this. The right is the one that works for you, right? Like, that's how I see it. Um, and when I gave my characters uh, they, from somebody in the game, uh, the gentleman's name was Granum. He was a kind of a kind of like a Gandalfy wizardy type guy, um, and he provided them with a map of uh, Ardnor, and um, it didn't have everything on it because you know at that point I hadn't totally fleshed everything out. Plus, I didn't want to give everything away of things that I had fleshed out, but it gave him a good idea of what that world was like. Um, but I, I love your way of doing it too, Jim. Like there's stuff on my map that they've, they've never even been to. We've been playing this for six years and there's areas that we've never even explored that I have fleshed out to an extent, which is kind of fun. So there is some uh, time you dedicate to something that may never even be used. Yours is a little bit uh, closer to the mark where you're, you're building by what's being needed. Uh, and like I said, they're both fine. They both work. And um, it, it's very exciting. It's almost intoxicating to build a world. Like as you start doing that as a, as a DM, it's very, very exciting to think, oh, it could do this and, and then I can do this and we can add to it. And what, what about this and how would this change things? And that's a, that's a very fun thing to do to, to, you know, think things up of how it would be. Um, in my world, I refer to something called the cleave and it had been a, a world that had started from people that had kind of uh, emigrated at the bottom and then there was small tribes. And so I, of course I put a history of the world together and I've got like this big long timeline. And then the, the tribes kind of kept moving up, moving up. And then at one time there becomes a war between the two main um, cities that are kind of across each other. And there's like a, a large inlet from the ocean that divide them and they fight each other. And there's a huge battle. And at that end of the battle, when the um, emperor of the main city of the country of the, of the whole world is killed, things start again kind of thing. That's called the cleave. So time actually starts re starting from zero and they call everything before the cleave or after the cleave. And uh, it was a really neat thing to, to put in there. Was, and the, I worked a lot of that into the story of the first campaign and the players worked around a lot of that. And it was kind of a very fun thing to do to, to think about events that have happened in your world pre the time of your players. Because again, you're filling out that world. Yeah, you're BC and AD of your world. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it reminds me of a meme where it's like when you're starting to make a homebrew world, it's like, oh, what am I going to name this town? And then 3 a.m. you're like, what kind of soil does this river have? <laughs> no, like you can literally go as deep or as shallow as you want to. And I will say, Jim, you can never go deep enough because you can have as much notes about something as you want and some freaking crazy player is going to say, like you, like you said, what kind of soil is underneath the grass in this area? You know what I mean? They, someone's going to ask you that. Like they always will. And so no matter, and again, just to say to everybody, don't stress, like do as much as you can and feel really good about it. And when someone asks you that question, if you don't have it, make it up, make it up on the yeah. spot, make a note that you made it up though. Cause now that becomes canon. You have to make sure that's in your world, but um, you can never have enough. It seems like people always will ask those questions and take it further. It's so funny. Yeah. And homebrew worlds have to be a passion project for the DM. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, you don't do it just to, just to do it. It'll drive you crazy. And I would also say, don't, don't do it unless you're really thinking of doing a longer campaign. If it's something short, I don't know if it's worth the time you're going to put to do it properly, to make it feel like a whole world. I don't know if it's worth the time. If it's a fairly short campaign, like I said, we we've now played six years in Ardnor in our first campaign. We played, um, at a, a time, like it was about 300 years after the cleave. 
and then in our and we did that for oh like three years we played in that whole campaign and then we played the second campaign they went back in time and we've talked about this before they went back in time and they actually the very first game they saw their first their players from the first campaign and i record all my sessions for me so i don't have to take super great notes i can just listen to the recording there's a dm tip for you and um i uh took the recordings of them talking in game and i played it back to them with their new characters listening to these people coming towards them and it was their old characters and they freaked out because it was just like <laughs> oh my god then they realized who their new characters were they were people they had met in their first campaign and then nobody knew that and it was such a amazing beautiful moment one of my proudest moments as a dm everyone freaked out but they're still playing in ardnor but they're playing now like 200 and some odd years before the cleave so there's a huge time jumping around which is really fun and uh, i do like time travel so those like i said those first characters in the first campaign had gone back in time through a time shift and that's the time where my new players in this campaign are playing in that sounds very bill and ted and confusing <laughs> but um that's an, a neat way of playing i'm still playing in the same world but in a different time and so that's kind of really fun. So you get a lot of mileage out of your world, which is cool. And everything's different because it's a different time. <laughs> yeah, here's my DM tip. Don't do time travel. <laughs> no, for experienced DMs only. <laughs> it can get messy and it's crazy, but it, it, it can be a lot of fun. Which yeah. Is pretty cool. Uh, I'd say with uh, one shots, though, like I homebrew almost exclusively all my one shots, but I do it my way, right? I'll do right. the town that they're in, a couple little areas. They're not going to go past that. We're only playing for, you know, six, eight hours. That's thank you, know. Jim. That is such a great comment because I, I'm always thinking of the the big picture. So <laughs> yeah. for me, I'm thinking of a whole world. Like, yeah, don't don't homebrew a whole world uh, of, you know, for a, a one shot. Yeah. For a one shot. But take Jim's advice, which is perfect. Homebrew a little world for that one shot, which is beautiful. Yeah, I, that's fantastic. And I have done that also. Um, and that's really a smart thing to say. Thank you, Jim. It's good to correct me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a big picture guy. Like I really, really am. And anything I do is always on a big scale and a big picture looking at stuff. And so when we we're talking about um, homebrew for this, I, I didn't even think really so much about a smaller version. Like, <laughs> like one shot that just didn't enter my brain. I'm thinking about this big epic world you'd create. So, uh, which is, you know what, Jim, I've said this before. This is why I love that we have this discussion <laughs> because we we are so similar, but completely different in so many ways. Um, I appreciate mm. correct four-sided dice where you don't. And I love, th I love that about you. <laughs> wow, it's, it's, no. yeah, I love that about you. No. Um, but it's great because that I think that's for what we're doing here, this silly little podcast. I think it actually really gives a really good rounded view of things. So it's not, if I was to do this by myself or you to do it by yourself, it would be very much through just that lens of that person. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been completely corrected just now about what I said, which is fantastic because you're completely right. Like that is a great way of thinking about it. There's nothing wrong with homebrewing a one shot or a three shot game. Um, I would just say to somebody, don't get carried away and build a whole world around it. Build your little geographic area, like Jim said, and, and work within that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's how it starts. And then after the game, then you start building it out and then you ask them to come back with their characters. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's a good point. Be careful what you build. If you're not building on a big scale, like a big campaign, but you're building a little one-shot, make sure you're happy with it because how many times have you played where that little one-shot has turned into a full campaign? Because everyone has so much fun and they want to keep going. So now you've kind of started something. Make sure you enjoy what you started because it's going to continue or just have a, a cataclysmic event that wipes it all out and you start yeah. rushing. Um, <laughs> which First you can do. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, and that's the beauty. I mean, you have ultimate control over this world. Um 
if we can go on a side rant for a second, because we never really talked about this, it's not really on the list or anything. Um, a pet peeve of mine are, and it's a very, it's a, it's a newer thing. It's, it's been of the last like four or five years, but DMs that brag almost like they've got notches on their belt about how many times they've had a, a total party kill. So for a card called TPK, for those of you that are, uh, haven't played the game, if a DM wipes out the whole party, like every member of the party dies, the game ends there. Um, there are DMs I feel that are proud that they've done that. Or they, I've heard DMs say, I've wiped out my party like four times already. And it's like, wow, I would not play with you ever again. Like, I don't want to play with somebody who just keeps wiping the party out. And they, they say it with a level of pride. And I feel like, how can you be proud? And th this is, sorry, I'm getting there. The idea about homebrew is that you can do anything you want. And in D&D, as a DM, you kind of have ultimate control as well. But in a homebrew world, you even have more control because it's when you've created. Um, like I just said, a cataclysmic event. I mean, a DM at any point in time can say a meteor crashes down and wipes the whole party out. How is that difficult? Like, it's so simple to kill the party if you want to. It's not an achievement. It, to me, it's nothing. It's like it's it's you're it's a, you're making it so trivial that you actually can kill them. Um, it's hard for a lot of times for a party member to stay alive. And so um, it, it bothers me because I don't see it as adversarial. D&D &D to me is not game players versus DM. I'm not out to kill you and they're not out to kill me. We're out to write a story together and I will be the monsters and, you know, and all the bad dudes and the players will be the heroes and they'll have, you know, fights and stuff going on and, and someone may die through the process. I'm not going to pull back from that. If they die, they die. But I'm not going to go into it trying to kill them all. Like, I just, I'm sorry. I, it's, like I said, I'm ranting a bit and this is, I know it's, um, it can be controversial, but I think it's a good thing to talk about. I, I think it takes away from the enjoyment of the game and the story that you're trying to write. Think, like I always say, think of it as a movie. Like, think of your game if you're watching this epic movie and you're like so jacked to see the next scene. Why would you want to kill everybody? Like, yeah. you know, unless the, in, unless it's a, a fitting thing. Like I have played in campaigns where at the, the end of the campaign, it went sour and everybody wound up pretty much dying. But it fit the campaign. And it wasn't on purpose. The DM didn't try to kill everybody. It's just kind of what happened. Um, I don't know. Thoughts on that, Jim? Am I, am I again, am I off base on this or what do you think? <laughs> well, it's because me and you are storyteller players, right? And DMs. Mm. Um, I've played with, I've had DMs and players that they're just all about combat. That players that actually like dying because then they can make a new character to try to see how broken they can make that one to fight. And yeah, I've had lots of like, uh, DMs that are just going after TPKs and yeah. it wasn't my group and I, I don't really play with them anymore because it's not my style but it's just you just gotta find your table right if you're playing with people yeah. and it's not your style just yeah. there's lots of players out there to uh, go to their table you know and don't get me wrong I, I'm, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm putting those people down like they're doing something wrong it's just like you said it's not my flavor it, it's not what I'm into um, and it's not what my players are into either. Like we're all about role playing and story and writing an epic tale. That's what we want to do. And, uh, I, I feel like that kind of TPK stuff just takes it away from it. And then I just feel like you're playing a board game. You, you know what I mean? Like it feels like you're just trying to defeat somebody like a board game. And to me, D and D is the furthest thing from a board game. And if you want to do that, go play a board game. Like that's kind of how I would see it. But, um, that, all that said is to me is kind of, again, part of that whole homebrew thing um, with all that control. You know, you have to be careful with all that control and that power. 
don't let it go to your head. Make a world that people can live in and play in. Don't make it so completely crazy that they can't. People want to have a good time. And that goes back to what I said before. One of the main things about D&D is that everyone's having fun. If you're not yeah. having fun, you, your players don't want to be there. If you're not having fun building it, you don't want to be there. Like, it's got to be about enjoyment. Yeah. Well, to play devil's advocate a bit here. Uh, so Go we're ahead. playing Tomb of Annihilation, playing with lots of min-max players. They're just, they love their combat. And there's Jim over here. I was a centaur monk and I wanted to do, I wanted to shop there. We were in this big town. Yeah. Uh, Cholt, I believe it was in that one. And yeah. So then all the battle people, like I sat there for probably four hours shopping and doing dumb stuff. And they're like, come on, let's just go and like get the quest done. And like, what are you doing? And like, I just wanted to talk to NPCs and mess around. So like, I, I get their side too a bit, but you got to find that happy medium if, you people do. like the combat, you know? And I think the best thing in the world can happen is you find you find the people that want to play the same style as you. Like that's that's what you're trying to do. And I, you know, and I, I I'm like super blessed. My my table right now, um, you know, we've got some family members, some friends, some close friends, a whole mixture of people. Um, they are all super and a lot of the people at, at the table I've known for a long time. So there's high levels of trust and everyone does like that kind of uh storytelling, role playing game. Um, so that I, I'm very fortunate that way. And, uh, you know, as a player, I played in a lot of games that have been, uh, you know, again, similar styled people. I've got friends that I've been playing with for over 40 years that, uh, you know, I love playing with. Um, so I think it's all about trying to find that right group that you fit into. And if you, if I said, again, I'm not putting you down. If you're into that kind of thing where you are, just want to bash things all the time and you want to have that threat, that your whole party might be wiped out, find people who want to play that. And then you guys will have a lot of fun together. Um, but if, you're not that person. Don't be in that campaign and vice versa. Like a person who would be like that would not enjoy my games at all. Like that would not be a game they'd want to play because there's lots of talking, a lot of thinking, a lot of things like that that goes on. You have to know, understand the story and solve it and figure it out. It isn't just run around and kill everything. Yeah. That's why I love your game so much because it's my style. Honestly, I wish I could just play shopkeeper D&D where I just run a shop and you come in with different NPCs and buy stuff from me. And I don't ever have to worry about combat or initiative order or what, if I'm using my weapons and spells right. I just want to haggle for magic weapons and magic items and sell them to different people and organize my shop. <laughs> that is fantastic. I think that's hilarious. Um, on that note, why don't we take a quick little break and uh, we'll come back and we're going to talk about some of uh, the famous homebrew NPCs, monsters, weapons, all that kind of stuff. So we'll be right back. Fantasy Factoid! Some recent internet research has revealed an estimated 50 million people are playing D&D worldwide. That's more now than ever before. The majority are casual players rather than active. And wouldn't you just know it? Canada has the largest number of players, followed closely by the US. And we're back, guys. Uh, so, talking about uh, homebrew is kind of our main topic this uh, episode. And uh, we're going to go into talking about some other cool things that we would make up in our homebrew world, which would start, let's start with the NPCs. So uh, NPC is a non-player character. So they're the characters that the DM would be playing that the players would get to interact with. Uh, do you want to start, Jim? Do you have kind of a uh, famous homebrew NPC? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so in mine, Bud Sweetleaf, I told you about him before, but he's just a hippie druid, uh, <laughs> wood elf. 
Uh, yeah, I told him an episode or two ago, I was telling you about him. Uh, he's originally a character I made for a campaign. And then once the campaign fizzled out, I just ended up using Bud Sweetleaf in many of my campaigns and one shots as an NPC. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's just based on a guy that used to come to high school parties and he'd tuck his hair behind his ears and always, oh, yes. believe it or not, but doing acids like shaking hands with God. So <laughs> everything he says, like, believe it or not, man, but this tavern used to be a magic swimming pool. And I don't know, my par- my players seem to enjoy him. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I remember you talking about him. He's fun. <laughs> yeah, what about I mean, you? Oh, it's so true though, right? Like a lot of times you do have uh, NPCs that are old characters of yours because you know them well. So you bring them in, they're old characters you played. And I've had sometimes where I've played an NPC so much I liked them that I've turned them into a character in a game later on that I would play, <laughs> right? Which is kind of fun. And your so players we, know them. Your players know them. Yeah. So here's one for you that I did, I talked about before. And this is um, was in our previous campaign and he was a pirate captain. His name was Captain Chapel the Sparrow Layton. Uh, so Captain Layton, and he was the one I told you had the uh, Southern accent. And so oh, I pulled nice. it up for you and I've got a bunch of his little sayings. And this was the thing I would say kind of beforehand to get in the thing. And it's like, I feel go breathy because uh, being a Southern boy. And you can also take from, uh, which I love, but um, well, Johnny Ringo looks like someone just walked over your grave. And so you got to have this awesome kind of drawl to him. And I have things like, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Bless your heart. Well, it's blown up a storm. And all these silly little sayings I had written down, right? But something that I love doing in my game, and I think we might have mentioned this before, but I have a sample. And if you'll let me uh, indulge me for a second, Jim. Um, I like to have guards that go by names of people in a band. And so uh, this one was one that Captain Layton, he had these two guys on his ship. And they were twins, and they were Zep and Led were the name of the twins. And so you see two stranger, two strange teenagers stumble out of a door, fall over each other, and slowly regain themselves and walk off laughing together. Captain Layton says, "All oh, those two? I don't feel them. They are the brothers Zep and Led. And I tell you now, I have a whole lot of love for them both. Now I do reckon they always appear a tad dazed and confused. But if you travel over the hills and far away to the houses of the holy on the Black Mountain side, as they did in the search for St. Tristan's sword, just like a fool in the rain, well, I can tell you, the song remains the same. It is a real heartbreaker, for there was a terrible communication breakdown betwixt the two, and many good times and bad times. And when the levee breaks and the Battle of Evermore on the Misty Mountain Hop, well, all I can say is poor Zep would just ramble on about his sad old black dog, Tangerine who died a horrible death and made its long climb up the stairway to heaven. Well, maybe that's really what is and what should never be. That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who aren't uh, Led Zeppelin fans, there's like 20 Led Zeppelin song titles in that (laughs) little blast. Um, I've done that a few times and it's kind of fun, but to me, I I fell in love with this character. Like, and I do totally want to play him sometime as uh, not as an NPC, but as a character, because that's the thing about homebrew. When you create uh, a world, you create people to live in them. And when you create somebody to live in that world, you you get to embody them. And you, you just, you, you for me, I just totally see them. And this Captain Layton, they had three different pirate uh, captains they could choose from. And I kind of created a bit of a story behind each one of them. And uh, they chose Layton as the one. So it was really fun. And um, I, I got so into this character and he got to go with him. And he was in about, oh boy probably five games. And then he came at the end of the campaign and helped them. So he was around for a while. So I got to live in his shoes for a while. And I just loved his voice. I just fell in love with the silly Southern. I probably do it really crappy, but it's really fun to do this really kind of Southern gentleman voice. And he was just such a neat character. And, uh, 
that's what's kind of cool to me about you know kind of your homebrew npcs that you add to that world because they they're part of that world oh that's so awesome yeah for my southern i was have you ever seen the show uh, true blood yes oh yes yeah i always go oh sookie and then <laughs> i try to go <laughs> off that one right Eric Sookie is mine. <laughs> that is awesome. That's, that's the only way I can get like Southern accent at all. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. I love it. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And, and you know what? Again, we said this on our other episode. Who cares? Have fun with it. Butcher it. Have fun. And, and if you can't do an accent or you're not comfortable doing an accent, just change, the, like we said, the speed of what you're speaking. Make them speak a little slower. That's going to make a difference. Just have fun and, and get that trust in the room. Like, throw out everything and make everyone feel comfortable and everyone trusts each other. Cause then you can have a lot of fun and it can be very silly. Um, yeah. is there anybody else you wanted to mention Jim, uh, NPC? Uh, yeah, we had, uh, in our Eberron campaign, there's a grin and gran. They're mm -hmm. uh, twin troll brothers. Uh, one's very intelligent. The other one's just a normal troll and they, uh, own the dueling trolls magic shop in Sharn. That's like the big city in Eberron. Cool. And, and the smart one just like wore a suit, ran the shop, and the dumb one was like the bouncer. And we it like ended up being our main base. And we like uh, cleared a haunted keep outside the city that like we claimed as our new base. And Grin like made a teleport circle for us. Yep. In his shop, so that was still kind of like our home base. Cool. So yeah, and then I got uh, some custom minis made for them from uh, Kings Valley Forge there. Nice. So painted him up for our DM for his birthday. So he's really stoked on that. So, but now I'm scared that he's going to kill us with them because now he has minis for the frick, our favorite NPCs. So, <laughs> careful what you do, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, no, they're, they're a favorite of ours. It's so cool to do that. And they do become like some of the people become very, very popular. Um, we, we had um, fun in our first campaign. I created a, a band that um, played and, um, Everyone just got a kick out of this band, and um, the lead singer was. Uh, we we're trying to. We we're just goofing around, and so somebody. I said it's kind of. I said the band's kind of like, um, you know, kind of like uh, Bruce Springsteen. And they said, "Oh, um, Juice Springsprung," and that became again. It, it, somebody threw the name out, and that became the person's name for the whole campaign. And this band, I just keep having the band keep coming back, and it was uh, Cultus Firefox was the name of the band. Oh, nice. Uh, it was just like so silly, and you know whenever they'd go into a tavern like who's playing and it'd be like no they're not here they're not in this town and but every once in a while I'd throw the, the, them into the thing and everyone would get so excited because they and they got to know the band they're like friends of theirs and they get free drinks and it's really fun to create characters that exist in that world and then they're they keep coming back in almost like guest appearances and then it's fun for the players because they know those characters and they get to hang out with them it's kind of like what you're saying um as which is a lot of fun yeah um on the other side of that is um, kind of uh, homebrew monsters. And um, I, uh, I've i got, it's, well, it's interesting because it's not so much a, like a monster in the sense of a creature, but he was um, kind of the arch villain in our first campaign. And uh, the homebrew story to my campaign was that the uh, players had, had been brought together a little mystically, which I thought was kind of fun. It wasn't you meet in a tavern. They just woke up in the middle of the woods, at all of them, their feet at the bottom of this round stone and they just kind of woke up they didn't even know how they got there and it was kind of this mystical thing that happened and uh, kind of threw them together but they go on this whole thing that develops more and more into a quest and the thing that they wind up realizing is that the we talked to earlier i mentioned about the emperor at the time of the cleave in my world the emperor was killed um well his like you know great 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 grandson the emperor of that time has been kidnapped and they're living in a world of the emperor of the whole continent is kidnapped and they're trying to solve and figure out who took them and what's going on, they wind up going up against a person named Feldrick. And Feldrick becomes the quote-unquote bad guy. And they keep running into him. And every time they run into him, he's way more powerful than they are. 
and they get away by the skin of their teeth, and Feldrick becomes this recurring bad nemesis. And eventually, with the help of Captain Layton, uh, out on the, I had two big boats out on the water fighting each other pirate ships that I made. It was oh, a lot sookie. of fun. Yeah, Suki. <laughs> and uh, they have this big battle out on the water, and they wind up killing Feldrick. And they're like, oh my God, they're all freaking out because they killed him, and they think this is great. And then what they realize shortly after that is that Feldrick was the right-hand man to the actual real bad dude. So through the whole campaign, there was no mention of this. And he turns out the guy's name is the Overlord, which is really exciting. And it's the first they start hearing about it. Once they killed Feldrick, they thought they'd kind of solved the, the campaign. But it turns out, like I said, he was the right-hand man and the Overlord was the bad guy. We had an epic, huge, massive battle at the end of the campaign. I've talked about that before with like dragons hanging from my ceiling on netting and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and the fight they have with the Overlord, the Overlord takes his mask off and they find out the Overlord is actually the emperor that was kidnapped. He was never kidnapped. He kind of exile, put himself in exile, formed an army to take over the whole world, not just the small kingdom that he had. And so they'd been searching for him and he wasn't actually kidnapped. He had just become a bad dude and they didn't know that. So it was this whole bunch of really, you know, and I'm just talking about this in a couple oh, of cool. minutes here. This went on for like years, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was, and it was a big shock surprise. No one saw it coming. And at that, by that point, He'd also been drawing on dark powers, so he's kind of withered, and he was very much almost like a uh, kind of like what, ring wraith type of feeling, like that kind of thing. Um, and that was kind of our big, big bad guy, and it was this homebrew. I used a, a Warhammer mini that I found that I really liked, and I used that and painted him up as the as the main bad guy. It was a lot of fun. Oh, but, cool. Um, but it's really fun. Again, that to me is blending everything we've talking about, the world, blending in the, the story and the history and then from that, making my main bad dude all embroiled all in that. And that was really fun to do that. So, um, yeah, it's probably my biggest kind of bad guy monster that I had. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was just going to say with uh, homebrew monsters, like, uh, you could even just, like, just reskin monsters that are right there if you don't want to make, like, a whole new stat block or make a whole guy, like, surprise your players with, like, new looks or abilities for your monsters. Like, if you have veteran players that know everything about trolls, make a fire troll. Then they have to think outside the box. Be like, how do we kill it? It's obviously not with fire, right? Yeah, and that's sort that's of really smart, Jim. Yeah, it's really, and you get that all the time. Players that are just their nose is too much in the book, and they they fought all these creatures in the past, and they bring that past knowledge into your game, and you've got to kind of uh, you know do something against that. So that's that's really smart. Yeah. Um, for monsters, I did. Well, this one's kind of an item too. So no, I'll say him for items. He's more items than monster, but uh, I, I got a good one from uh, Jess Shield three uh, D on Instagram. He was telling me about a homebrew monster. It's a like symbiotic mimic. So the player bonds with the mimic mm -hmm. and then it turns into a weapon or armor and you have to feed it with kills or it starts like turning on you that's like cool. super venom vibes. From yeah, Spider -Man, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I thought that cool. was so cool. And that's kind of a bit like, um, and I'm blanking on the name of the sword that Grog had in um, first campaign critical role where it always oh, yeah. sucked in all the, what needed blood. Yeah, I forget what it's called. But yeah, yeah or like the Necro Sword from the new Thor movie too. Yeah, that it's, kind of idea. Yeah. That's it's really not cool. a new, it's not a new idea, but <laughs> no, no. But it's fun so. to play on that. And and mm. it, as a side thing, like uh, and maybe we are sliding a bit into weapons and stuff too. It's really cool having a semi or fully sentient weapon because the weapon becomes an NPC, which is really really fun to play that as well. Um, in our world, uh, the characters when they woke up in that forest in that glade. The one thing that they all had in common, they learned fairly quickly, was that they had been given, and most of them seem to be like a family heirloom passed down. They were given a little tiny piece of black onyx 
um, that they could see through, and it was, there was flat, and they were kind of like a geometrical shape. If they held them up and looked them through the sun, there'd be kind of like a, uh, an effect that would happen, and they would see a color in them. So you might look inside of it, and this black stone inside would appear to shimmer green, another one would shimmer orange, and one would shimmer blue. And they realized that each of them had one of these, and it took a, quite a while for this to happen. And I, when the characters were created, I told everyone, and I actually made little pieces of them, uh, and I gave each one of them in a little pouch, and I told them that they'd been given to by such and such. So at some point in time, it started to reveal they had these. The whole story went on to be that that's what they were doing. They had to collect all these onyx pieces, and there was like, I guess something stupid, like 28 or 30 of these pieces that I geometrically cut out that they kept finding or acquiring and getting, and somebody else would join the party, and ironically, they would have one too. And then on the pieces, they were black on one side, and the other side would be a, the color. And then they had symbols on them and numbers. And so they were kept, they literally, this one for years, they kept trying to put these things and figure out how they all go together and build things. It was like a whole puzzle. So I built this massive puzzle into the game. And what it was is I had this idea way back before we even started playing, probably a year before we started playing, that I would want to run a campaign where you had to find all these pieces and what these pieces are, and now bear with me, I'll try and describe it. Say you take the word, uh, our word is homebrew and do it all in capitals. Between the letter H and the letter O, the space, the negative space between the H and the O is kind of a, a vertical and then a kind of a curve. So you think about all that space between the letters, that's what they were collecting. All of the gems they had were the spaces between a word. And mm. once they figured out, and the color was the, the color of the rainbow. So that was the order of the colors. They went in the color of the rainbows. They had to figure out the, the rainbow colors. They had to figure out, because they're all numbered one or two or three, that which order they'd follow. Some touched each other. That was the symbols. They could connect them. Like It was stupidly complex. And it literally took them about two and a half years to figure it out of gameplay that all these pieces went together. And once you put them all together and you laid them all down, you could see the letters between this, these all these things. And you could actually read a word. Now, the, far, the part that everyone out there in the world is going to laugh at me about is the word that I was so jacked about that I chose. I thought it was my kind of, it wasn't an original word, but I thought it was a good word to use. I really liked it. I have to kind of mention that I really don't, I'm not a Harry Potter guy. We've talked about that before, right? Yeah. No one is. No, no, no <laughs> one likes that thing. You know, the word I chose was Ravenclaw. I didn't even know that was a, I guess that's a, a house or something, a thing in oh, Harry no. Potter. So my word was Ravenclaw. And I was, I thought I'd like this idea, this Ravenclaw. It sounds sick. I love that. And my whole bad guys were based around ravens and the good guys were called the Brotherhood of the Hawk. So it was hawks and ravens. It was this whole world I created. And I called this thing and what they were doing is they were looking for this sword and I can show Jim, that's the sword. And you can see all the pieces that went into it to say the word Ravenclaw. Um, but Everyone laughed when they finally figured it out because a bunch of those were idiot friend, or idiot people that liked Harry Potter. So they thought it was funny that they were solving this word for this other book that existed. Anyways, it didn't take too much away from the story, but it was kind of funny that I didn't even know what Ravenclaw was. But oh, no. that was this epic weapon that once they found all these pieces and they put them and they found the weapon and they put all these gems in the weapon, it became this super powerful sword that was needed to defeat that bad overlord guy. So that's kind of the, you know, the epic weapon that we had. And, and again, and that's been done before. Like there's, um, again, we're not, we're not original in things that we do, but we have original spins on existing things. Mm -hmm. And that idea that they had to collect all these little pieces and find them all and figure out what they meant and then find the weapon and get, put them all into the weapon. And there was just, it, it created a long narrative in a good way that allowed the campaign to go on for all these different things. And other stories that were happening were woven around finding another piece. Like it might be nothing to do with it all. They're on some other side campaign, but one of the, they were in a market somewhere and one of them recognized one of the pieces, one of the onyxes in a necklace that was for sale in a 
um, not for sale, but up for auction. So they had to bid against somebody, outbid them to win, because you know it had nothing to do with kind of what was going on, but they realized they needed that piece. So before they could even go and solve the problems that they were dealing with, they had to be in a stupid market, <laughs> you know, in, in an auction, which was really fun. So you can do such cool things, you know, with that. And um, just think big, think really big and have fun with it. Oh, definitely. Another side note, uh, speaking of auctions, that's a good way. If your players have too much gold, uh, put some cool items into an auction because you're the DM and you have infinite money and just jack up those prices a little bit and just empty the wallets a little bit there. <laughs> I love the way you think. <laughs> How about you, buddy? What do you got for a uh, home brew uh, item or a weapon? Well, okay, this was a. Uh, I made this up, so it's fill up the bag. It's a sentient <laughs> bag of holding or devouring, depends how you look at. It. So it's got the face of a demon sort of thing on it. Yeah, and uh, he was loud at inappropriate times, of course. <laughs> and so half the party like loved him, half the party hated him. <laughs> Um, like didn't trust him. And then of course, uh, someone found a soul gem. This was in a one shot too, like an eight hour one shot I did. Okay. So they found a soul gem. Someone put it in the bag. Of course, Philip ate it. So now <laughs> they're freaking out that this demonic, uh, bag of holding just ate a soul gem and like, what's going to happen there? Uh, but yeah, after the one shot, I told the party that Philip ended up like growing into a greater devil in the nine hells because of it. And like. He was originally cursed by another greater devil that turned him into a bag. And the party just loved it. They still talk about him. That's cool. And and, and it's totally fun to bring him back sometime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, which is really cool. Like prior to him going off to the uh, the Nine Hells, but having him, you know, as a, and, and you can do that. Like, you know, that sword I spoke about could pop up in an adventure somewhere. And if you do that with your players who have played a different, you know, a different game with you and all of a sudden in a different campaign, a weapon they know of pops up, they lose their minds mm -hmm. because they know the history to it, which is really fun. So it's, it's neat for you to, and that's the same with the NPCs. If you have an NPC that they know from before and they meet again in a different campaign, it's a lot of fun. Anybody who's watching Critical Role, and, and uh, this is my, you know, my weekly Critical Role moment, um, because they're in their third campaign, that happens a lot. They have like other campaign player characters come in and meet with them. And that's really cool when that happens because everyone laughs and it's like mm -hmm. they remember their old character. And it's the same in our games. If you have old NPCs or old, uh, what can happen is a character from a previous campaign can now be a NPC to the DM. You can actually take over that character and bring it in another campaign and use it, which is fun. Um, that's awesome. Dude, I love that bag. That is wicked. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, they, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I like downplaying that stuff too, right? Yeah. So like bring your sword into another campaign, but a king just has it as a paperweight, you know? Yeah. He just yep. has it in a little display. He's like, oh yeah, that is just a dusty old thing. I don't even. I picked it up one time at a, at a battle or something and I've just, yeah, yeah it just had it hanging on the wall. It's kind <laughs> just of a symbol. It's dust now. And yeah. all the players know it's this epic sword that will like rule the world. <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, so in one of our campaigns we had, uh, so anyone familiar with the Elder Scrolls games, uh, Skyrim, uh, are you familiar with Wabajack? I've never wabbed a jack before. <laughs> it's a, uh, um, it's a staff that every time you use it, something random happens. Cool. So that's how it is in the video game. So our DM made like a D100 chart and you roll on it twice every time. And there was, man, there was tidal waves, portals, invisibility, permanent true sight, curses, Sick. overpowered, uh, Spell slots, like equally good and bad, but it was just such a crazy item. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, everyone just loved because I I abused the hell out of it too, of course. 
Well, we talked about that uh, the other game, uh, other game, sorry, the other podcast about um, the uh, the bag that I have, a uh, bag of uh, everything you don't need twice a day. Um, random stuff is great, right? Like it's so fantastic to add something that does something randomly. So then in a moment, you don't know what's going to happen. And um, I guess when you think about it, that's that's the whole essence of improv. And a lot of D&D really is improv, just living in the moment and accepting it and moving on. And so if you have a, a random situation by some item or something, that's going to make everybody have to deal with it in that moment. And that's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, the last one I got here. So uh, Chicken, Sword, and Shield. Yeah. So in one of my homebrews, this was actually the first campaign I ever ran. So a wizard NPC, I had Alark the Powerful. He was making some magic items for the party. They're a low-level party. So uh, I made it so he dropped a chicken into the cauldron while he was making them. Okay. So the shield had the face of a demon chicken on it, which gave the player advantage to push the enemies or something. I can't really remember. And then there was like a dagger in there that was plus two for the rogue. But every time he stabbed, it made like a loud like, like chicken sound just to like you know, make sure that they didn't abuse it or whatever, but then they could still have some low level magic items and it wasn't too powerful. That's, cool. That's very cool. I think, um, talking about that, um, the whole improv feeling of just going with stuff, it's so critical to do that, like to, to go in the moment and let it happen. Cause I've seen sometimes the coolest moments have happened because of that, because you just kind of allowed yourself to go with it. And I think back to um, the players being in, a, I kind of did a, a very um, old school dungeon crawl for them. Um, my first campaign, there was a few play, people who were playing there had never played before. So I kind of wanted to give them the whole feeling of what, you know, what D&D was. So I threw in a bunch of old time, like, you know, rust monsters and just old time D&D. Classics. Yeah, classics and get them to you just really get the feel of it. And some real classic situations like a proper dungeon crawl. So they're in this one area and the door slammed shut behind them and not all of them went in the room which was fun so some on the other side of the wall some are inside and the room is it turned out to be that this skull kept asking them riddles and i, I love riddles and they had to solve the riddles and i had a big brass uh hourglass that would turn upside down they had to answer it before the hourglass ran out and i'd said like the the skull's there and an arm comes out and it spins the hourglass and it's you know sand's falling they have to answer the riddle so they're trying to solve the riddle and the people on the other side of the door are trying to underneath trying to yell to them if they can hear them to try and figure out what it is and they want to help it solve it and it was a lot of fun and when it was all done the funniest thing happened one of my players said um like once with the hourglass was that cursed hourglass that we talked about in the other podcast. And one, yeah. one guy said, I'm going to pick up the, I want to pick up the hourglass. I'm like, okay. I thought that's great. And I said, yeah, you're, it's a cursed item. You're stuck with it now for that. Oh man. And that was kind of the big trick thing to the room. Well, one of the other players goes, I'm going to pick up the skull. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about it. And I hadn't put it into the skull. <laughs> it's like, cool. And I said, all right. And then as we start going through stuff, I start thinking about it. And, uh, the skull was obviously had some kind of sentience to it because it was talking to the masking riddles. And then uh, I just I went with it and I made it that uh, I, earlier I talked about the emperor from a, you know hundreds of years before had been assassinated. That was the skull of the emperor. And I just kind of decided on the spot. It's... And so this player's got the skull that he was bound to at that moment as well, but he could talk to it. So they actually were able to ask the emperor questions from his time which helped them solve things that were going on. And then later I had it that the emperor became a mat. This skull became a massive thing in the kind of the, the end when his great, 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 great grandson, the overlord was doing his thing. The, the, they actually wound up using the skull to defeat him, which was really fun because it was the skull of his great, great grandfather. And it was just, had I not jumped on that moment when he picked it up, because I could have just said, Oh, it's nothing. The magic's gone from it. It's just a skull, mm -hmm. but it's like, 
no, let's have fun with this. Let's make it. Yeah. What could, oh my God, in my head, I'm thinking it could be the emperor's skull. And everyone at the table thinks you had that all planned out. Now, all of them listening to this, well, none of them listen to our podcast. Only, <laughs> only three people listen to this thing. Yeah. Um, and none of them are my players. Uh, you know, they're going to be like, wow, I thought that was totally planned. And it's like made up on the spot because it was a great idea. Someone grabbed it. Why not run with it? So if someone does something in your game that you're, you haven't thought of or the module doesn't say what it is, run with it. Have some fun with it. Think of something cool in the moment and just go with it. Because that skull became a massive pivotal piece to the whole story that we wrote together. And it was great because they did something, like you had mentioned, Jim, that you don't expect. And it totally changed the way that story went, which was so cool. Yes, and DMing. Oh, 100%, right? Like, you have to. Um, And as a DM, I think you have a tendency, we have a tendency, to be like, no. (laughs) Because yes is scary. When you say, yes, and this happens, you have to make it up on the spot. And that can feel scary, but you just let yourself go with it. And as long as you're not messing things up too hugely, you know, if it doesn't break stuff, but go with it. And if it does break stuff, retcon, go back into the next game and say, you know what? We said this about it. I actually got that wrong. It's this. You can do that. You are in control of this thing, but um, hopefully you don't need to, but just make it up and go with it and have fun. Make notes because now that exists in the continuity of the story, but um, it's beautiful to do that. And it's, it's so... The more you do that, the, the more you as a DM, you get to play. And um, in our first campaign, we did a lot of, um, I said, a lot more, a lot more of that railroady stuff where I really had a very strong kind of story and I was kind of leading the players down it. And in this campaign now, I was very much, I didn't want to do that. So I have a general idea of things going on. But the biggest thing I did, and it's kind of a little bit like your world building, Jim, I, they're in the world of Ardnor, but I created a town that hadn't existed and I drew a map of the town. I filled it all out with all the people who all the businesses were and all of the businesses who worked there, their names, their races, their classes, if they had that, like everything about them. Um, and then when anyone goes into a store or any place, I know who's there because I just pull it up and it's got like 50 odd people that, you know, populate it. And it was really fun to do that. That led me to be able to be very free because I can make stuff up on the spot. I know the person there. That's all I need to know. Everything else can just be ad-libbed and have fun. So as a DM, I'm doing way more role playing and having fun in this campaign than I did in the last one. It's not so much planned out. I just kind of go with it. And I actually get to be more of a player in a way than than just being a, you know, a straight hard kind of DM going by the notes I have written down. Yeah, I, I love doing that, too. And uh, what you're saying uh, earlier about uh, retconning, I'm pretty against retconning for my games. Yeah. Uh, just remember, everyone, that uh, magic items can be stolen, lost. That's traded, right. borrowed. There's all sorts of ways to get rid of too powerful magic items that you might have given one of your players. Yeah, I, I hate to do it. I think I only ever did it once where it was it became a pivotal thing. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember it was very pivotal. They need it had to exist. But in the moment I gave it too much or I did something that messed things up again, if you have more of a railroaded story, that's what happens, right? Because it, it messed things up for what I knew were coming down the line. And I hate to say that, but that was the game that we played. It did. I had plans for where it was headed. Um, where the campaign now, it's a lot more open-ended. If I did something like that, I would just go with it because that's what it is now. It's in that kind of world and it doesn't it doesn't affect things the same way. Um, but it's good. You know, again, it's uh, it's all there, man. Do what you want. And and I hope, I hope people kind of... Um, if they haven't done homebrew, maybe they've got some stuff out of this uh, topic this week. Um, there's so many things you can do, and it's so huge. Uh, I love it. I 
I find it actually really hard now to play modules because I love our the world that I've created so much more. Yeah. Um, what about you, Jim? Um, I was just going to say, I had a funny homebrew story I wanted to share with you guys. Yeah, please. Um, so one of the players in our homebrew Ebron campaign is a rules lawyer. So for those that don't know, it's that someone that's just plays by the book and it's always going to the rules and you can't, they don't like to homebrew. No, in, in um, our campaign, in our campaign, they're, they're actually not a lawyer. They're a doctor. They're doctor rules. Oh, doctor rules. Yeah. Doctor rules. So I think it's kind of funny that ours are doctors and yours are lawyers. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely both overpaid. Yes. <laughs> um, so our DM is an old school DM and uh, he has no problem homebrewing things to his liking. And our shapeshifter rogue, he had a magic belt that we found. And then we found another magic belt that could help the rogue even more. And the, uh, so we we're going to give it to him. And the rules lawyer was like, you're not allowed to wear that because you're only allowed to have one magic belt, blah, blah, blah. And their DM says, as long as the rogue wore it as like a bandolier, it's fine. Like he would allow it. <laughs> And it just drove the rules lawyer nuts because every case that he's sitting there. So now we're looking for a third belt to get him so he can wear it like a WWE belt or something. You know, like his, that's homebrew. If you want to let your players have three magic belts, that's yeah. that's on you. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, if you, I mean, <clears throat> you can't do everything that a player wants and spoil them. It's like having children, right? If you spoil yeah. them, then it's going to be a mess. But at the end of the day, it's what we said. You want everyone to have fun. And if this player is having fun with that, like that really means something to him, why do you have to be by the book and take that away? You know what I mean? Like, is it really going to crush anything? Is it really going to break the world if you do that? Maybe the lawyer thinks so, but um, it really doesn't. And uh, it's fun to let people have fun. Yeah, and I think the DM did it more so because the rules lawyer was kind of stepping on his toes a bit. He's like, no, <laughs> if I want my players to have two belts, they're going to have two belts. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, we're rubbing in his face all the time. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's cool. Um, I think this is a really fun topic. Um, Jim and I did talk about maybe to doing like a homebrew moments um, and kind of like what you were just saying. And I've shared a couple here, but I think we could do a whole episode just talking about some of the crazy things that have happened in, in games. Um, so I don't think we'll get into that today because we're going to get too long but we shared a couple of things and maybe that's a you know a, a topic in the future just going through and talking about crazy things that have happened in our games really fun moments either as a dm or as a player so that might be something on the horizon to look out for and um anything to add to our homebrew topic today jim or i uh, know just uh, if anyone has any questions about homebrew that they want to ask us just uh email us at crystalball at 13sideddie.com that's perfect and, uh, and let's know guys- we'll answer it yeah, if you have any ideas for a topic you guys would like us to talk about, send it our way. We're more than open to take things in from people, look at it and throw them out and do our own thing. But please send them in. It's not a problem. <laughs> pretty easy going. Uh, awesome. Well, if that's good then, Jim, I think uh, we're going to roll on and uh, we'll come back to you guys here in a couple of minutes. And today we're going to go back to one of our earlier um, little segments we did where we're actually going to go through and create a random encounter, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, let's go roll some dice. Woot woot! Hey gang, here's a quick message from John, a friend of 13-Sided Die, who is the creator behind the amazing podcast, Tale of the Manticore. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here, 
the dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Look out! Random Encounter! All right, everybody, we are back, and uh, today's segment is one that we did in the past. Uh, it's kind of fun to repeat them. Hope you guys get a kick out of it. Last time we did this, I didn't really understand what we're doing, and if you go back and listen to it, you'll hear me talking about it more as I'm thinking I'm we're teaching you how to roll up a random encounter, and Jim had a much better understanding of what we're doing, and we're actually making a random encounter that you could use in your own game. So uh, uh, that's going to be what we're doing today, not teaching, but actually building a random encounter and maybe somebody will use it sometime. Is that right, Jim? Yeah, sounds about right. So I got it figured out the second time around. Good, <laughs> good, excellent. Uh, so uh, we're going to roll a bunch of neat things. I'm going to show you guys uh, that it is just randomly rolling. We're just having fun doing this and uh, seeing what we can come up with. Uh, first one I see on our list, Jim, is going to be the terrain of this encounter. Okay, right. so that will be a D10. Okay, I will roll that. Ooh, I rolled a six. Six, okay. And I'm uh, going from the old AD&D DM's guide here. Perfect. So mountains. Mountains. That's fun. Okay. Next is uh, weather. And I have a weather chart that I put together. It's nothing fancy. It just allows you to choose if the weather's normal, abnormal, um, inclement, a storm, or a powerful storm. And there's kind of just different weights on it. And then it gives you a wind and the, how strong the wind is. So if you can roll a percentile dice, Jim... To grab my dice before I started doing this. All right. <laughs> 76. 76. Uh, okay. It's abnormal. If you can roll um, a percentile again. Uh, 15. 15. So it's uh, abnormal and it is a cold snap. So you're in the mountains and it's becoming very cold. Cold snap. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's just check if it's a windy day, if you can roll percentile again. 53. 53 is, um, it's a standard wind, nothing major. Um, uh, die eight will tell us which direction it's coming from. Five. Uh, it's coming from the South. So a standard Southern wind. And in some games that might not mean anything. You might not even need that, but... We said, you know, earlier today in our homebrew stuff that you can never have enough information because yeah. somebody might say, what's, is it very windy today? <laughs> and this, and it, this might not even mean like today, this could like a cold snap. So it might just be really cold where we're building this encounter, maybe a fortress totally. or who knows what we roll up. Totally. Totally. Okay. Um, what else do we have down on here? Um, situation. So again, uh, I have a whole list of things that I picked up. And I think I told you guys last time I got most of this. Uh, some I added to it. Some are just off the list I found on the internet and blended it all together. If you can roll a percentile dice again, please. 19. 19. A plume of reddish purple gas emanating from a wizard's tower. Okay. We frantically write this down. All right. I like where this is going. Uh, next one I have written down on here is monster. 
So we were going to put together, there's so many different ways of doing monsters. And I thought this go around would do something a little different than we did last time. And um, this is under the not sponsored realm, but I have a pack of monster cards you can pick up. D&D uh, &D releases them. And there's all different kinds. This is a challenge zero to five. So it's uh, from low to higher to middle, basically. I'm going to shuffle up the deck and then I'm just going to randomly pull one out of the deck and that will be a monster that can be involved in this encounter. So randomly pulling one out. Ooh, and it is a rug of smothering. Oh, nice. Just kind of cool. Um, let's see if my old eyes can read this. Um, stats wise, it's got a strength plus three, dex plus two, con zero, intelligence neg five, wisdom neg four, charisma neg five, if I've read that all correctly. Um, it's big thing is it has as an action to smother plus five, uh, five foot. The creature uh, is grappled uh, until the grapple ends. Targets restrained, blinded. Um, there's a risk of suffocation, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a neat thing. It's, uh, immune to poison and um, psychic, which is kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a neat creature. Um, I remember, I think we, we had one of these one in one of our campaigns once, but, um, very cool. It's, it's kind of a mimic in a way. Yeah. But it's not like, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a mimic where it's an inanimate object that kind of comes to life, which is kind of cool. And I um, uh, want you guys to know that I couldn't see Sean's hands when he was randomly pulling that. So I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. He might've just picked oh, that. Come on, <laughs> dude. I was shuffling him at everything. Wow. Definitely like, random. If I was pulling one, it probably, if I was, it might've been like the fire elemental. That would have been a cool one. Oh, right. my favorite, the, the flump could have been a flump. <laughs> oh, I hate those. <laughs> I love flumps. Again, we're so similar and so completely different. Um, yeah. No, Rugged Smothering's perfect. Uh, let's yeah, for see Wizard's what... Tower? I think that's great. Oh, yeah. Right? So uh, now we roll on what the monster's intentions are. Yes. So that's 2d6 from you. 2d6, coming up. Uh, seven. Patrolling territory. Patrolling territory? Yeah. Cool. All right, and uh, then I think we've got, what, an item found in the encounter. Okay, and that will be another one from the uh, AD&D DMs guide. Perfect. Uh, can you please roll a D6 for me, please? Three. Okay, and now a D20. Uh, D20 is also a three. It's a rod of alertness. Ooh. All right, I think we have put together the different elements. I, there wasn't anything else we we're going to do. Was there Jim? Uh, no, I don't think so, but we got a lot here. This is cool, right? Like I got kind of excited about this. So we got a wizard's tower. That's pluming out red gas in the mountains. It's very cold. That's why we can see the red gas so well. Standard wind. Standard wind. So the, the smoke would just be kind of drifting lazily. It wouldn't be blowing too crazy. It would just be kind of blowing slightly out of it. Uh, yeah. Within the tower, patrolling the territory is a rug of smothering. I'm thinking a uh, flying carpet. I like. I imagine that. the wizard put flying on it. Yep, I like that. <laughs> and if some party was able to get in, they would potentially locate a rod of alertness. It's probably on the wizard because mm -hmm. he's apparently concerned. He's like some kind of security security dude because he's got a a uh, rug of smothering uh, patrolling his territory. 
Yeah. What's uh what's with the plume of red gas though? That's interesting. So is he creating something? Is he working on a something in his laboratory? Something is cold, it, maybe. Hmm. Is it something that's gone wrong? Maybe he's summoning summoning something from the nine hells, maybe. That's, that's why cool. it's red. That's cool. Then it'd, you know, really be out of place in the cold snap mountains. I like the idea too of it being well, first of all, a tower is hard to get to because it's a tower. You have to get into it and get up it. This is even harder because it's up in the mountains. So we could have it like kind of like off the side of a mountain, making it really hard to get to. Maybe the only way the party can get to it because it's it's so cold and meaning maybe there's been a lot of snow. The normal way up is not accessible. So they have to like scale up the side of the mountain. So you've got a really fun mountain climbing, repelling, you know, um, pittons hammered into the mountain, like a lot of, uh, you know, dexterity or acrobatics checks like you could do a lot of really cool stuff to get it up get people up there yeah do some uh cold rolls like making yeah. sure that they're still good yeah constitution rules if they can handle the weather yeah i think this is really cool um i hope people get a kick out of this Be- being the 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 the, uh, the the kind of person i am i'm hoping people see how we put this together so they could do it themselves if they wanted to again i'm sorry i'm teaching <laughs> all over again but i think it's important it falls into our homebrew thing where if you are going to create a world, here's a way of creating a world. Just randomly roll it up and have fun with it. But um, I, I feel, I think I kind of actually like this one more than the one we did last time. Um, I, I see this really vividly. I think this would be a really fun scenario to set up and have the party having to get into that tower for some reason. Yeah, and ruggish smotherings are terrifying. Yeah, yeah. You get wrapped up in that thing. Suffocated. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. Awesome. Yeah, let us know if you guys use it in your game. Totally. I think we- I might use this in one of my games. <laughs> it's going to pop up everywhere. <laughs> At least all three of our listeners will use it. <laughs> all right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, I guess that's uh, today's uh, short segment. Woo! Next time on 13-Sided Die. Right, everybody uh this is the time of the show when we talk a little bit about uh what we might do on next episode and i say the word might because we have changed our minds in the past and uh one time we didn't even know what we we're doing we just we didn't have anything did we we just did it when the classic guys <laughs> um but i think what we're loosely talking about is maybe chatting about uh lord of the rings slash tolkien or tolkien depending on your pronunciation uh next uh time i think rings of power should have concluded by then which would be kind of interesting to chat without spoilers but chat a bit about that uh what do you think jim is that uh, something you'd be interested in talking about yeah i love all the movies and books are great and there's lots of there's days worth of stuff we can talk about with lord of the there rings is. there <laughs> totally is yeah i'm kind of very i'm very excited about that actually really fun but i will also mention jim has been working steadfast in the background on our maybe our first interview uh podcast uh with a special guest and that may preempt the lord of the rings if things work out is that right you got it that's cool yeah we're kind of uh we're not going to tell you what it is but you're gonna want to listen you're gonna want (laughs) to it's uh pretty exciting so yeah we'll know if that falls into place for next episode or maybe the one after but we'll see what happens yeah and then i just wanted to say if you guys are enjoying this uh, i hate to say this but Leave us those five-star reviews on Apple and our Spotify, whatever, you know, just tell your friends. It really helps us out and helps spread the word about it. 
Yeah, we're we're just gonna kind of beg beg for mercy here. It does help this poor little show keep going and lets people know about it. Um, like Jim said, leave a review, write something about it. Um, and if you want, also you can send stuff to us directly, either through our email or on Instagram. And we love posting those in our stories. It's always nice to hear that people are enjoying it. Let us know. Um, it uh, these are kind of funny because it's me and Jim just talking, and that's where it came from. Jim and I used to always just sit and talk like this, and we decided we'd record it and it'd be fun. But we're just kind of staring at the, each other and staring at the walls talking. You don't really know if you're saying it to anybody. So let us know if you were saying something to you. If you enjoy it, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I, I actually really enjoy doing this. Yeah, me too, man. And then, then on the other side of that coin, I'm seriously humbled every week by the numbers coming in. Yes. You guys are amazing. Thank you for everyone that does listen and tell their friends. And Yeah, so phenomenal. Um, awesome. Well, I think if that's good, maybe Lord of the Rings next, uh, next episode and uh, maybe a guest speaker. We'll see. Um, anything else, Jim, or are we wrapping up? Oh, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Love you. Bye. Well done, you. You've made it to the end of the podcast. You are a bold adventure to be sure. Remember to fill your wire skin and to have your blade sharpened at the blacksmith's before departing. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new 13-sided die adventures. And don't forget to tell your friends about the silly fools talking about D&D. 13-sided die has been brought to you by Sean and Jim. Executive produced by Sean and Jim. Mini painting by Sean and Jim. Engineered by Sean and Jim. Goblin torture device by Sean and Jim. Conceptualized by Sean and Jim. Please note, no goblins were harmed in the making of this podcast.